evidence and answers. Many people, including Christians, hold various views of the afterlife, such as reincarnation, annihilation, soul sleep, and purgatory. Which view is true? And which ones are false? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zukrin. Pat is a popular teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Every week, Pat and his friends provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ. This week, we are listening to another one of the exciting messages taken from our recent Hawaii Apologetics Conference. Each year, Pat hosts this conference, which features some of the premier Christian scholars and apologists from around this nation. Our theme this year was Evidence of Life Beyond the Grave and featured keynote speakers, Dr. Gary Habermas and Dr. Ron Rhodes. Today we will hear part one from a study entitled False Views on the Afterlife, taught by Dr. Ron Rhodes. Without delay, here's Dr. Rhodes with part one. We're going to talk about false views of the afterlife. And let me just begin by asking you, have you ever had a close call with the afterlife? I mean, have you ever been kind of near an accident, like in the car or maybe in the hospital? Anyone? Okay, I see a number of you raising their hands. I've had a, a good number of them. I remember one time I was a student at the University of Houston and I was coming around the bend on the road there and there a big truck was parked right in the middle of the highway. Boy, I had to swerve pretty quick. You know, it's kind of interesting the way that it works with people. Here's a young boy. If you can see that. Can you see what's in his nose there? That's a fork sticking through his nose. Now, this is a young boy that was running throughout the house and, you know, he fell down. And that could have been much worse. You see, he could have fallen down and had gone into his neck or something. That's a pretty close call with the afterlife. And of course, today, he's much wiser. I don't know if you can see those battle scars on his nose right there. Here's a kind of a bad situation. For those of you who are standing in the wrong place on the golf course, why, that looks like a shattered nose pretty quickly there. If you're going down the highway parallel to another car, you know, one of you has to slow down and stop. That's a pretty close call with the afterlife right there. What about this guy? <laughs> At that moment, I'm imagining him saying, Mama, Mama. Now, here's a cat. Yeah, that's a pretty close call. And that's an even closer. Of course, I don't believe in rodent afterlife, so that's not a big problem. But what about this? Here's a forest ranger. He's letting a bear out of a portable cage on the back of a truck. And so far, so good. But then the bear turns around to start to get him. And it continues to get worse. That bear is crawling up the front of that thing, and then he pulls the cage right off the back of the truck there. And at this point, the other forest ranger puts down the camera and picks up the tranquilizer gun and puts the bear to sleep. But that's a close call with the afterlife. Luckily, the guy just got a little bit of a scar there. Sometimes people uh, can get into serious trouble out on the water when a speedboat goes by. That's a pretty close call, and I'd give anything to know what that cat is thinking right there. Well, you know, because death could come unexpectedly at any time, you never know when it's going to strike. It's critically important to make sure you know the truth about the afterlife. And there's only one book to go to to find out about that, and that is the Bible. One of the things I always stress to people is you got to have accurate information. And the only book that has accurate information on the afterlife is the Bible, the Word of God. And, you know, today the problem that we face is that there are many false and or debated views 
on the afterlife. Now, we probably won't get through all of these different issues, but just to sort of whet your appetite, you know, there's the idea that human beings become angels at the moment of death. There's the idea that souls go to sleep or become unconscious after the moment of death. There's the idea that people can receive a temporary body immediately after death and later receive a permanent resurrection body. Now, that's not a false view. That's a debated view. Christians go back and forth on that issue. But I thought it was so interesting that I thought it would be good to talk about today as well. There's others that teach that the wicked do not suffer in hell for all eternity, but they're kind of zapped out like those uh, bug zappers. They fly into the light and zap. They're roasted, they turn to ashes, and they're unconscious for all eternity. There's the idea that all people are ultimately saved. doesn't matter what you believe, but everybody gets saved in the end. Some people must suffer in purgatory, according to Roman Catholics, before they go to heaven. Is that true? Is there any biblical evidence for it? We'll talk about that if we get there. And then, of course, there's reincarnation, which many people believe. And unfortunately, many people within the church have succumbed to some form or another of reincarnation. So our goal today is just to briefly consider some of these viewpoints. But I need to tell you something very important. We're covering a lot of ground today in a very short period. You know what that means, right? It means that we have to be brief. You see, I could spend three or four hours on each one of these ideas, but this conference has not given me three or four hours for each of these ideas. I've got to finish in the next 40 or 15 minutes. And so we're just going to sort of touch the tip of the iceberg on this stuff. We're focusing on the big picture. And for those of you interested in going deeper, there's books out there on the back table, not just my books, but Dr. Habermas as well. Uh, the Zuckinator, Pat Zuckerin, has also done some writing. I also have a website, ronroads.org, that you can go to, and you can download all kinds of free stuff. We have a free newsletter that goes out globally to over 45 nations around the world. And we don't ask for a red cent for that. We don't ask for your money. We're here to serve. And by the way... We're one of the few ministries out there that actually answers email. So if you have a question about something and you cannot answer it, no matter what it is, anything to do with apologetics, you send us an email and we'll send you an answer by email free of charge. What a deal. What a deal. Okay. Why is the issue important today? Well, what you believe about the afterlife will affect the way that you live your life. For example... If you believe in the second chance theology of reincarnation, this idea that you live again and again and again and again, and you have many chances to get it right, well, you're not going to be too concerned about getting right with God during this one lifetime, you see. But if it's true that we live once and die once and then face the judgment, well then, this life, the one that we're in right now, becomes very, very important. Likewise, Uh, If you believe in universalism, the idea that everybody gets saved no matter what you believe, well, you're not going to be too concerned about getting right with God and taking care of your sin problem. And, uh, you know, you'll ignore the fact that the Bible teaches that in the end there are two classes of people, the saved and the unsaved, who will end up in one of two possible destinies. That's heaven or hell. So like I said, what you believe about this will affect the way you live. That's why it's important that we understand what these false views are because we want to make sure that we get it right. Does that make sense? We want to make sure that we are biblical in these ideas. And I often tell people that the Bible is our barometer of truth. It is the only thing that we have to test all these different theories about the afterlife. 
And so that's what we're trying to communicate to you this weekend. We want to make sure that we're biblical at all costs. So let's begin. What about this idea that humans become angels at the moment of death? Well, you know, there's a lot of people who believe that. Often I hear this at eulogies, at funerals. For example, I was at one funeral and the husband who lost his wife got up there and said that Jenny was now his guardian angel, watching over him throughout the rest of his life. Now, of course, I would never, ever walk up to someone at a funeral and, and correct their theology. You know, they're hurting at this point. So as they're hurting, my goal is to be pastoral and to help them through this hard experience. But, you know, strictly speaking, I mean, this is not a biblical idea. This is not a biblical idea, even though Hollywood movies tell us that it's true. And by the way, Hollywood movies also promote the idea that angels can become humans. I'm sure you've seen some movies about all this. So what are just a few evidences that humans don't become angels? How do we know that they are distinct? Well, for one thing, we're told in Colossians 1.16 that Christ created the angels. And he created them as angels. He didn't create them as humans who then became angels. Christ created the angels as angels. In fact, the text says, by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And what's interesting is if you read ancient rabbinic literature, these exact terms are used in this Jewish literature to refer to angels. Now just think about that for a minute. One second the angels did not exist. The next second they did exist, and their first sight was the creator, Jesus Christ. That must have been an awesome experience. But the key point I want to draw to you is that Christ created the angels as angels. Now let's dispel with a myth right here, okay? Have you ever seen those paintings of little baby angels? Listen, folks, angels don't have babies. They don't propagate. In fact, when I wrote my angel book called Angels Among Us, I told my publisher, please do not put a fat baby angel on the cover of my book. So they picked this angel that looked kind of like the model Fabio, with long hair, very muscular and buff. They did that at my request. I mean, it looks a lot better than the fat baby angel. But you see, angels do not propagate. Christ created all the angels as angels all at once. We are also told in Psalm 8.5 that man was made lower than the angels. You have made him, man, a little lower than the heavenly beings or angels, and crowned him with glory and honor. Likewise, in Hebrews 12, verses 22 to 23, the innumerable angels are clearly distinguished from the spirits of the righteous made perfect. That is to say, redeemed human beings. Now what's really interesting, if you like the book of Revelation like I do, is that in the book of Revelation, angels side by side with redeemed human beings around the throne of Christ, singing praises to his name. I just want to tell you that the number of angels is said to be 10,000 times 10,000. Anybody here good at math? 10,000 times 10,000. By the way, it's not 20,000. At one conference, I I asked about this, 10,000 times 10,000, and I was told it was 20,000. It's actually 100 million. 100 million. Any way you look at it, that's a lot of angels. So you've got a lot of angels and a lot of redeemed human beings there worshiping Christ. And that's going to be kind of cool, isn't it? I mean, I get excited when I hear a good church choir going after some good music. 
But when we see a crowd that big praising the Lord, that's going to be something to behold. Now, we're also told in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, that there is a time coming in the afterlife when believers will judge over the angels. The text states, do you not know that we are to judge angels? Now, if you're judging the angels, doesn't that mean that you're distinct from the angels? Does that make sense? Absolutely. So even though humans were created lower than the angels in this mortal life, there is a day in the afterlife when we will judge over angels, according to the text. Likewise, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, draws a distinction between the languages of human beings and those of angels. And one final verse, Job 38, verse 7, talks about how the sons of God sang and shouted for joy when the earth was being created. Now, there is evidence that this phrase, sons of God, has reference to angels. This is not the same as son of God as applied to Jesus. You know, Jesus is the son of God, but many theologians believe that the term sons of God refers to the angels. Let me just draw a distinction for you. The term sons of God used of angels basically has the idea that they were created directly by the hand of God. They didn't get propagated like humans do. Okay? So many theologians believe that's the sense in which they are called sons of God. Jesus as the son of God is different. You know, It's interesting that the ancient Jews used the term son of to refer to someone who had the same nature as the father of. So the term son of God is actually a title of deity. I wish I had another hour just to talk about that fact alone, but I don't have that kind of time. So just take my word for it. In any event, I think that you can see from these multiple verses that angels and humans are distinct. You will not become an angel when you die. You are going to still be a human being, and if you're a Christian, your spirit will go to heaven, and one day you'll receive a resurrection body, which I call a body upgrade. And it's going to be awesome. But you'll be human, not an angel. All right, there's another false view out there which says that souls go to sleep or become unconscious following the moment of death. Now, there's a verse that I want to give you just as a sample. It's 1 Thessalonians 4.13, and it says this, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. The question is, what is asleep? Is it just the human body in death? You know, in death, the human body looks like it's sleeping. Would you agree? I mean, it just, it just is laying there just like a person asleep. Or does this refer to the soul going to sleep so that you're not conscious in the afterlife? It might surprise you to know that people are going back and forth on this, but, you know, this is a common view, including the Jehovah's Witnesses. I don't know how active the Jehovah's Witnesses are in Hawaii, but they're very active in my neighborhood. They're always stopping by, and my daughter Kylie always tells me, Daddy, I feel so sorry for those Jehovah's Witnesses ringing the doorbell because they have no idea what they're getting into. Well, be that as it may, the good news is that there are virtually thousands of Jehovah's Witnesses who have become Christians as a result of our ministry. So we're very pleased with that fact. But the fact is, is that this is a good example of the kind of doctrines that they get wrong, this idea of soul sleep. They do not believe that human beings have a spirit or a soul. Rather, they interpret every person as being a soul. The word soul refers to the life energy that is within a person. 
Now let me just give you an example. In this room, we've probably, I don't know, maybe there's 100 people, 150 people. They would say that there's 150 souls in this room. So the word soul can easily be used as a word to refer to a person. It's like a synonym for the word person. And they even quote verses to support that idea. For example, in 1 Peter 3.20, it says, In Noah's days, a few people, that is eight souls, were carried safely through the water. Likewise, they'll say, according to Joshua 11.11, that there was an army that went striking every soul with the edge of the sword. So in other words, every person is a soul. You're a soul, I'm a soul. And at the moment of death, you do not have a distinct separate soul that leaves the body. You do not have a spirit that leaves the body. Rather, at the moment of death, this life energy that they call the soul simply dies out of your body like a bad battery. Or if you can imagine a balloon, if I blow that balloon up with full of air, you know, and I let that air out, that air represents the soul. As I let the air out of the balloon, you see, that balloon deflates. Likewise, the Jehovah's Witness would say that at death, the energy that is inside the soul, that life energy, just wanes and goes out of existence. Okay, are you with me so far? That's what they teach about all this. Now, what I need to tell you is that the word soul has a whole variety of meanings in the Bible. And it's important to understand that in different contexts, that word can mean different things. It's kind of like the English word trunk. The English word trunk can mean, for example, the front of an elephant, the back of a car, the bottom of a tree. It could refer to like a big suitcase. Just depending upon the context, that word could mean a whole variety of things. Likewise, the word soul can indicate different things in different contexts. Now, one of the things that we discover in doing a word study in the Bible is that this word is indeed often used of the spirit or that immaterial part that is in each one of us. As an example, Genesis 35:18 says that Rebekah's soul was departing for she was dying. In other words, at the moment of her death, her spirit was coming out of her body. That's what, what you and I believe happens at death. This is the Christian view, the idea that your spirit departs the body at the moment of death. Likewise, in Revelation 6, verses 9 through 10, we read about the souls of people who were martyred on earth, and even though their physical bodies were still on the earth dead, their souls were up in heaven talking to God. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Now just think about that. Their physical bodies are still on the earth. At the moment they were martyred, their spirits left their bodies, went up to heaven, and now they're still fully conscious and talking to God saying, God, how long are you going to wait before you get even with those guys down there? You see, now, does that require consciousness? Absolutely. You can't talk to people, or you can't talk to God without being a conscious being. And so this idea that you have no consciousness following death is not biblical. The scripture is clear that the souls of both believers and unbelievers are fully conscious uh, between death and that future day of resurrection. Unbelievers are in conscious woe, whereas believers are in conscious bliss. And let me just give you a couple of verses for that. We read in 2 Peter 2.9, The Lord knows how to keep the unrighteous under punishment until 
the day of judgment. Now hold on just a minute. Is it possible to suffer punishment unconsciously? I mean, if you've got a criminal there and he's in a coma and the judge says, well, this guy committed a crime. Let's put this coma person in the jail. Is that really being punished? Not really. Not really. In fact, unconsciousness avoids judgment. It really does. But this text indicates that the Lord knows how to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. That is to say, they are consciously experiencing God's punishment and they are awaiting what's called the great white throne judgment in the book of Revelation. And after that judgment, that's when they go to hell. Now, I don't like saying that. I don't like talking about it. But that's what scripture teaches about it. Now, likewise, believers are in conscious bliss. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Now, what does that term at home with the Lord indicate? It indicates that you are right there face to face with the Lord. In fact, the Greek word for with indicates that you're just right there in the Lord's presence. And the fact of the matter is, is that there are two aorist participles used here that indicate the moment that you die, there you are. Okay, so there's not any kind of unconsciousness. You don't go into some kind of a state where you're unaware of things. But rather, the moment that you die, you are consciously in the presence of the Lord. And I'm talking about true death. I'm not talking about near death, as our uh, professor has talked about. So it's important to keep that in mind. Now, Paul also said, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. Again, that word with indicates intimacy, face to face. You know, you can't have an intimate relationship with somebody unconsciously. This is a word that indicates that you are right there in the Lord's presence, consciously dwelling with him, you see. So again, this idea that we are unconscious after death is unbiblical. Likewise, Jesus promised the repentant thief. Remember when he was crucified? There was a thief on his side there. Jesus promised the repentant thief that he would be with him consciously in paradise the very day that he died. He said this, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now just think about that a moment. Was Jesus saying, today your unconscious body will be in paradise with me? Who would look forward to that? Nobody would look forward to that. This text is indicating that at the moment of death, the thief would be right there in paradise with Jesus Christ. And it's important to understand The cultic distortions of this, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, simply won't wash. The text is very clear. You know, the Bible is is something that all of us can understand. The main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. You know, one of the plain things of Scripture is that when we die, we are consciously with our Lord in heaven. Likewise, it's interesting that Jesus himself, in speaking about the Old Testament saints, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, said, God is not God of the dead, but of the living. Now, wait a minute. Who are the living? Contextually, he's referring to the people that he just mentioned. He just mentioned Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are the living ones of which he's referring. In effect, Jesus was saying, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even though they died physically many years ago, are actually living today in the presence of the Lord. For God, who calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is not the God of the dead, but of the living. See, that entails consciousness. Even though they died long ago, they are consciously with the Lord now. 
Now, some of you might have lost parents. Some of you may have lost children in death. They are now consciously with the Lord. And I'm going to talk a lot about that tonight when I address the issue of the wonder of heaven, which is very inspirational to me. Now let me turn our attention to a debated view. This is not a false view. This is a debated view. And there are good Christians who are really on both sides of this. And that has to do with the question, do people get a temporary body following death as they await their future and final resurrection body? We've run out of time today. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. This concludes part one of Dr. Ron Rhodes' message entitled, False Views on the Afterlife. Evidence and Answers is a ministry of the Pacific Apologetic Center, a subsidiary ministry of the Bible Institute of Hawaii. Evidence and Answers relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you would like to team with us, please start with prayer and then to donate, log on to our website at evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers is brought to you by our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management providing investors with alternative investment solutions for more than 20 years. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us here next week for part two of False Views on the Afterlife. <laughs> 